0: Amen. Well, happy New Year, everybody! It is January second of twenty twenty-two. That's a lot of twos, right? That's four twos, I think. Uh, January second, twenty twenty-two. Who would have thought that here we are, uh, still uh, down in numbers and in the midst of COVID and all of that fun kind of stuff? Who would have thought, right? I remember, uh, and I've said this before just having a meeting with the daycare staff and saying, you know, take the three weeks off and then everything will be fine. And uh, it was the one time in my life I was wrong. <laughs> so she found that a little too funny. Um, how many people here have uh, made a New Year's resolution this year? Yeah, a few of you. A few. How many people don't bother making a New Year's resolution? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because more than 95% of people who make New Year's resolutions, so if you just don't even bother, right? Like, you're just not part of this statistic, but 95% of people who make New Year's resolutions never follow through with their New Year's resolution. So 95% of you who put up your hands, you're not even gonna actually follow through with the resolution that you gave. I suspect that that's why the bulk of the people in this room put up their hand and said, I don't even make them, right? Because we've been around long enough to kind of go, it never works. It never comes to fruition. So I'm just not even going to make any kind of of resolution. But what would drive us to make something like that? What would drive us to make a resolution? It's actually, I think, really simple. Often it's because we want to make a change in our life, Right? And I think most of us in this room could reflect on life and reflect on the past year and kind of go, you know, there might be something in my life that I would like to change. There might be a behavior Uh, that I live into on a regular basis that maybe I would not like to live into anymore. Uh, You know, maybe I want to lose weight or or gain weight or make new friends or get rid of some friends, like whatever. But the reality is, is that a New Year's resolution is actually about making a change. And so it's really interesting that 95% of us that vow to make that change don't actually make the change. Now, the other piece of a New Year's resolution is really simple as well. We often make them because we believe that that change will bring us more happiness. How many people want to be happy? Right? We should probably all put up our hands. They're Actually, maybe not because some people do just seem to want to be miserable, right? Uh, But most of us really want to be happy. In 2017... Uh, This is an old stat. I suspect it's gotten worse. But in 2017, one out of three people in North America say that they're more happy than they are unhappy. So most of their time they're spending in happiness, occasionally in unhappiness. So that means that two out of three people consider themselves consistently unhappy. Now think about this. That's a 2017 poll. Think about that question today, right? Of how many people find themselves most of the time happy compared to unhappy. So in 2017, one out of three said, most of the time I'm happy, occasionally I'm unhappy. Two out of the three said, most of the time I am unhappy. Even in 2017, this was not a good statistic. One out of three people see most of their time as happiness and the rest do not. I suspect today most of us are probably in one way or another spending most of our time complaining and not happy at all. This time of year, statistically, the best-selling books, and I proved this over the Christmas season by going into Indigo uh, in in the city because we don't have one here, but going into Indigo... The self-help section is by far the biggest selling section at this time of year. Actually, statistically, it's one of the biggest selling sections, period, but it ramps up even more at this time of year. The Bible, folks, actually discusses this. It actually deals with this theme of happiness and finding happiness, seeking happiness, Uh, feeling happy, being happy, living happy. The Bible deals with this theme an awful lot, an awful lot. It, It actually doesn't just deal with it, folks, but it gives us the answer. It specifically tells us that the pathway to happiness, the only way to happiness is through gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, I've talked to you folks about gratitude and thanksgiving, but I wanted to remind you again this year because I feel like in this season, in the sort of down and out of COVID and the constant complaining and negativity that, that, that I experience uh, both, both personally and watching uh, people all around me, is that we are struggling with gratitude and thanksgiving right now and yet the bible actually says that the pathway to happiness the only way to get there is not through money it's not through wealth it's not through control it's not through through you know who your significant other even is it's about gratitude and thanksgiving and living with that mindset each and every day now if you don't believe me let's take a look at scripture and first of all, let's look at the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, gratitude to God was the only condition in which life could be enjoyed. So to a Jew, they literally understood that gratitude was the only way that you could enjoy life. For Jews, every aspect of creation provided evidence of God's lordship over all of their life. The Hebrew people thanked him for the magnificence of the universe. They, they looked around and they were just in awe. They were just like, wow, thank goodness God made all of this. Now, you can find that in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4, Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9, Psalm 104, verses 1 to 24, just to quote a few. And, and when they received good news, when they received good news, they weren't just like, oh my goodness, I was so good at that that I was able to create this good thing. It was like, no, when I receive good news, I give thanks to God for his goodness and for his great deeds. We see this in First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 to 12. And then even crazier, in the Old Testament, the way that it reflects receiving bad news. Because it's one thing to be happy when you receive good news, right? But in the Old Testament, when they receive bad news, they also give thanks. Trusting that God is just. Have you ever read the book of Job? Like Job Chapter 1, verse 21, where Job's life is completely falling apart, and yet he is giving thanks to God for the bad news, for the bad things that are happening to him. Isn't that countercultural? Isn't that very different than we whine about in the midst of COVID? The same sentiments are found in later Jewish writings. They had uh, writings called the Talmud, and in the Talmud, in six uh, Beresheba 35a and 54a, you can find that the people of Israel thanked God for his faithfulness to covenant promises, for their deliverance from enemies, Psalm 18, 30 and, and 44, and from death, Psalm 30 and 38 and Isaiah 38, for forgiveness of sins. They actually were constantly reminded that they needed to be forgiven of their sins. You see that in Psalm 32, Psalm 99, Psalm 103, and Isaiah 12. I know you're all writing these down. For answers for prayers, Psalm 28 and Psalm 66. For compassion toward the afflicted and oppressed, Psalm 34 and Psalm 72. Do you see a theme happening here in the Old Testament that no matter What, no matter what, the pathway to happiness is through thankfulness. Even when things are bad, they would thank God for executing justice in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 99. And they would also give thanks to God for his continuing guidance. And we see that in Psalm 32 and Isaiah 30. Those are just a small sample from the Old Testament of the Old Testament pointing us toward thankfulness and gratefulness only being found in Christ, in Jesus, or in their context in God. Let me read from uh, the Baker New Testament Encyclopedia of the Bible. He says, Gratitude was such a vital part of Israel's religion that it pervaded most ceremonies and customs. Think about that. So gratitude, the concept of gratitude, was such a vital part of Israel's religion that it pervaded most ceremonies and customs. When you read the Old Testament, you see a high value of ceremonies and customs, right? But yet, when you read the Old Testament, you see a higher value of this concept of being grateful to God. He says, thank offerings acknowledge blessings from God. Shouts of joy, right? An actual expression of joy is a way to show God that you are thankful. Songs of praise, music, and dancing. (whistles) Dancing. Where where do we get this stuff where we say, oh, we can't do that? when it's all through scripture showing that that's actually a way of expressing gratitude toward God. He says, all added to the spirit of thanksgiving in worship. So just a sec. Worship in the Old Testament, shouts of joy, songs of praise, music and dance. Feasts and festivals. Festivals were celebrated in remembrance of God's steadfast love throughout their history. And King David appointed Levitical priests to offer God thanks. And this custom was carried on by, the king, by king Solomon, his son, as well. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this theme of gratitude being what points to Happiness they value it higher than even the law let's take a quick look at the new testament first corinthians we're just going to take a quick look at what the apostle paul thinks of this first corinthians chapter 1 verse 4 i always paul doesn't say i sometimes when i feel like it right he says I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Anybody know anything about the Corinthian church? The fact that Paul is saying, I always thank my God for you, the biggest pain in the butt church in all of the New Testament, right? The biggest pain in the butt church in all of the New Testament and Paul's opening sentence, the fourth verse is that I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. If we look at Ephesians chapter one, verses 16, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses two to three. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Folks, when you read Paul's letters, the way that he's expressing himself to the churches, Paul is always giving thanks for how God has blessed the people. He thanks God constantly for how God provides and all that God has done, even in the midst of suffering. Folks, gratitude permeates Paul's letters in the New Testament. So not only is this a dominant theme in the Old Testament, it's a dominant theme in all of the New Testament. We don't need a self-help book, folks. We have the self-help book. And Paul gives thanks no matter what the circumstances. I don't know about you, but that's tough, isn't it? It's easy to give thanks when things are great, when we so-called feel blessed, right? It's more difficult to feel gratitude and thankfulness when things are not great. But Paul constantly gives thanks even in the midst of his sorrow. And he instructs all of the churches to do the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. You see in this passage how Paul connects peace and thankfulness together as well. He's telling us to be thankful kind of people, people who don't take anything for granted and folks i think that that's a north american problem is the amount of things that we actually take for granted in life because it might just be something that's normal we take so many things for granted and then we miss being thankful paul is constantly encouraging us to always and again he uses this very absolute black and white language to always express our gratitude. It's not a suggestion. He uses it, folks, as a command to the churches. Interesting, isn't it? Like, we'll use Bible verses to quote how somebody's doing something wrong, but we won't use Bible verses to correct our own attitude. Isn't it interesting? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, and you can see a mirror image of it, a very similar image of it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 as well. Listen to what Paul says. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now now listen to what he says. This is really important. I, you're going to quote this verse over and over the rest of your life, Right? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many people want to live the will of God? I'll read it again. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want to bring some clarity. Give thanks in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. You see, many things in life, such as things like cancer, those are not things that are from God. They're not a gift that God has given us, right? there's something that sin has caused. And so what Paul is saying is in all circumstances rejoice. Pray and give thanks because there's always something to be grateful for. You see, we have to look past the 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 right now circumstance of the situation that's negative and we have to look at the big picture and say there is still reason to rejoice there is still reason to give thanks because there's always something to be grateful for you may not notice it in the moment but that's what you need to seek and the apostle paul he's the guy that can give us this kind of advice He's the kind of guy that can give us this kind of advice. He was almost killed by several mobs. He's been arrested for things that he didn't even do. He's been beaten and thrown into prison, facing execution. He was shipwrecked and stranded on an island. How many of us have experienced that? Right? He's shipwrecked and stranded on an island. Folks, If you read anything about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul understands hardship. And yet, he's saying in all circumstances, rejoice. So the Apostle Paul floating around shipwrecked in the sea is giving thanks to God for his current circumstances because he sees the bigger picture. This will lead to something. And thank goodness God gave me the breath that I'm breathing in this moment. And maybe I won't have it later, but I have it now and I'm thankful for it. Paul understands hardship. And folks, him understanding hardship, yet rejoicing and giving thanks in all circumstances, that's how Paul finds peace. That's how he finds peace and joy. He's grateful for everything. He doesn't take anything for granted. Any moment. God created us. And so God knows how we're wired. He knows what behaviors help us and what behaviors hurt us. And scripture tells us that we are at our best when we walk in gratitude. Now, let's jump outside of Scripture for a second. Let's just look at the world. Let's look at science, because it has the answer to everything. Right? So if you don't want to believe the Bible, if you don't want to quote those verses, if you don't want to believe that that God's will for you is to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, let's turn to science, because there's actually a field of science called gratitude. Gratitude the science of gratitude. Um, There's a specific scientific study done on people where one group wrote, this this sounds really simple, but it's very powerful. They wrote daily three things that they were grateful for. How many people practice something like that? A few people do. You know, that's interesting too because you're the more happy ones. And science is about to prove you right. So three specific things such as being grateful for a loved one, right? But then they would tell them to dig in a little bit to what it is to be a little bit more specific and, and write down those more specific details of exactly what they are grateful for about that loved one. And then in this study, because this is what science does, right? So they have like the placebo people who aren't doing it, and then they have the people who are. So the second group, they just wrote in a journal. So both are writing in a journal, but one has been tasked with three things that they're grateful for. And the other group, the placebo group, has been uh, told to write in a journal, but they can write whatever they want, reflections on the day uh, or whatever. And the study found that those who keep the gratitude journal lived much happier lives. As a matter of fact, the study concluded that gratitude was the key to happiness. So, the Bible tells us that gratitude and thankfulness is the key to happiness, and science tells us that gratitude is the key to happiness. Here are some of the results. It's really interesting. I find this fascinating. Emotionally, people experience more good feelings. So, these are the people who wrote in a gratitude journal. They experienced more good feelings, they were more relaxed. They were more resilient in life. They were less envious and had happier memories. Their personalities actually changed as well. They were less materialistic, less self-centered, more optimistic. They had increased self-esteem and they were more spiritual. Socially, they had a better social life. More friends, healthier marriages, they were kinder, and they experienced deeper relationships. Not just that, but their health improved, their sleeping improved, they were sick less, they had increased energy, and had more motivation to exercise. On top of all of that, this is science, their careers flourished, They made better decisions, and their productivity improved. Think about this for a second. All of these things simply because they became more grateful. There's a reason why being thankful is God's will for us. But it's a little different because Christians don't chase after happiness. You're making a big mistake if you're chasing after happiness. If happiness is your goal in life, that you've kind of missed the boat. We don't chase after happiness. We chase after God's will. That might sound like semantics, but it's actually really important. Because when you're chasing after happiness, you're going to look for happiness in all kinds of different places especially the way the world sells it to you in in our modern day um, marketing campaigns. You'll find happiness if you have this. You'll find happiness if you have that. That's why do you think so many people buy lottery tickets, right? They're seeking happiness through money. Most rich people I know are miserable. Isn't that interesting? There's a statistic around that. Christians don't chase happiness. We chase God's will, and the side effect of living in God's will is happiness. And Paul tells us that if we rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, we're living God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Sounds easy, though, doesn't it? It sounds easy, the Bible says to do it, science says to do it, but yet we still struggle with it. Well, the Bible deals with that too. But you see, our entire system is set up for people to want more, right? I want a better iPhone, I want more money, I want a bigger house. We always want more than what we have. The advertising industry thrives on us wanting more and needing more because we're never satisfied. This wanting more is the same as how the devil tempted Adam and Eve, isn't it? The devil said, you you don't need to hold back from eating from this tree. Look at what this tree will give you. It'll give you more knowledge. It'll give you knowledge like God. Don't be content with life right now. God is the one who's holding you back. If you eat this fruit, you can be free. You can know all that God knows. That's the lie that happens at the very beginning of Scripture. And it's the lie that we continue to live as we seek happiness outside of God's will. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verses eleven to thirteen. He says, "I'm not saying this because I'm in need." So they've sent him money. I've taught on this before. They sent him money because he's in prison, and in prison, it's not like prison today, where you're at the Ritz Carlton, just with concrete walls. Uh, there's no TV time. There's no like yard time. There's no uh, food. They literally don't feed prisoners. When Paul's in prison, he's not fed. And so this church steps up and they send Paul money. So keep that in the context. He's writing this from prison. I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be content whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned... The secret, I love how Paul calls it a secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether fed, well fed, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. What's the secret? The secret is believing the gospel believing that you're a sinner, recognizing your need for a savior every moment of your life. Not just in a moment so that you can call yourself Christian, but to wake up every day being grateful for what the Lord has done. And to express that gratefulness through shouts of joy and thankfulness through dancing and praise and worship. Contentment is the thing that Paul finds, the secret contentment that's only found in true faith as Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the secret, and it causes him to be content even when he's floating around in the sea even when he's shipwrecked or he's beaten and flogged and hungry. Paul says, I found the secret. It's Jesus Christ centering my life in him, not just occasionally, but always my whole life. Paul surrendered his whole self to Jesus Christ and it's given him joy and contentment and a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness. And that is God's will for us. Worship team can join me. If we're not content, we're going to struggle with thankfulness. If we aren't thankful, scripture says you're going to struggle with happiness. And we're struggling with happiness because we're not following or chasing after the will of God. So really what the Bible's saying, folks, is take nothing for granted. Always rejoice. Pray continually, pray without ceasing, Paul says, and be thankful in all circumstances. Chase after that because it's God's, will for you. Will you stand with me this morning? We're gonna practice what Paul just taught us. We're gonna do some praise and worship. We're gonna be thankful. And as we do this, just sort of step outside of your marketing-influenced brain and slip into where your heart is at and ask God to meet you there because he's not looking at your external. He's looking at your internal. That's why somebody like David dances Before the Lord, because he's not worried about the external. He's not worried about what everybody thinks around him. He's not worried about any of that. He is just so grateful and thankful for what the Lord has done for him that he can't help but shout praise and dance and sing. The will of God, folks, for you is to rejoice. Paul says in Philippians, I'll say it again always rejoice.